everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things that you should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we're here to dance upon the grave of 2020. Fuck you, 2020. And we just need to keep in mind, though, don't put too much hope in this. Don't make any wishes. Don't make any plans. We don't want to monkey paw this like whoever talked about 2020 did. Oh, um, but I've already made several wishes. Uh. Um, I had to specially order some four-leaf clover to make wishes with. I have made so many plans. I actually bought plane tickets for vacation every month of this year. So things are going to have to go good, right? Four-leaf clovers don't work unless you found them. I found them on Etsy. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to fly wherever you want, but you will be sleeping in the backyard. But if I'm sleeping in the backyard in Hawaii, that'll be amazing. Not in our house, though. You, when you I'm come taking up, the house with us. That's not how this works. I'm pretty sure that's how I bought a ticket for you, me, and the house. That's three tickets. Well, no matter what you decide, Austin, when you're on a plane, remember, du jour means seatbelts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We watched Josie and the Pussycats. Austin had never seen it before. And I thought, this can't be good, right? I was so wrong. It was, like, so smart for how dumb it was. Yeah, especially given its target audience was, like, 14 years old. Yeah. It was like, look, this is what propaganda is, and this is what little messaging is, and this is why you should be really excited about coasters. <laughs> okay. This is the second best thing I've ever seen Tara read in, and the best thing I've seen her in where she didn't have a circular saw for a hand. I don't know. I really liked the American Pie movies. Now, I'm saying that having not seen them in 10 years, but... I I can almost guarantee you that American Pie, we would look back at it and go, oh, we yeah, thought this was funny. I have a feeling it doesn't hold up. Oh, no. But Josie and the Pussycats holds up. It held up so well. Yeah, he had never seen it, and he had a sister who was the target age, yeah. maybe a little younger. I, I'm not entirely certain. I don't know how old my no, sister she is. No, she would have been a little bit young because we were the target age. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure how old she is or even really what she looks like. I'm pretty <laughs> sure she has a hair. and Just one? Yeah, one, one <laughs> hair. It goes in a big curl. And uh, she's got one large eye in the center of her head. And instead of hands, she has bat wings. No, I'm thinking of Bat Boy. I was going to make some musical references, but I realized you don't know the musical. I know. So I know about the Bat Boy, the musical, because someone requested the songbook for it from another library and it came through and I saw it. It's like, this is insane. I feel like I should tell Maddie about this, but it's like, no, she already knows about the Bat Boy musical. I've seen it. You've seen it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, this is why I didn't say, oh my God, there's a Bat Boy musical. You'd be like, yeah, Austin, I know. I saw it. I'll play it for you later. Okay. But we need to actually get into our episode today. Yeah. Because I am talking about something I've been planning on talking about for a long time. This is actually not the episode a couple of episodes ago that I mentioned, like, I had a whole thing planned. I ended up scrapping it because I thought it was boring. I thought it was interesting, but I thought y'all would have thought it was boring. So since I had this week off, though, I had some extra time to actually research a topic that's really interested me. But there's a whole lot about how there's nothing about this topic. What? I am talking about Stockholm Syndrome today. Oh. So you hear this joked about a lot but uh, in everyday conversation, on TV. You'll hear and you'll hear it kind of talked about, but without any real in-depth conversation about movies like Beauty and the Beast. And then you'll also probably hear people say, that's not real. Yeah. Then you'll hear the other side. That's definitely real. I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, yeah, I see a lot of like really bad like boomer like comics on Facebook. They're like, yes. 
oh, I'm not sure if my wife loves me or if it's Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, which is really indicative of a whole lot of problems. It's it's a lot to unpack. Yes, there's a lot to unpack. Um, So today I'm talking about Stockholm Syndrome. I'm going to be talking about what it is, if it's real, and how the media affects our interpretations of it. Now, before I get into it, I'm aware that some of our listeners may have experienced Stockholm Syndrome, may currently be experiencing Stockholm Syndrome. This is not me sitting here because I've sat through meetings like this where it was like, you can't possibly understand what this is. Um, When we were learning about things like trauma-informed teaching, we would go through four-hour meetings where it was just them telling us in detail what traumas are and how we look out for them and what effects they could have on these children. We weren't allowed to take breaks. We weren't allowed to leave. And there was a lot of discomfort. So I am not saying that none of you could possibly know about any of this. Um, I'm a podcaster. I'm here to just give people the background and tell them whether or not this is largely deemed real. And I'm also during this going to be giving away spoilers for some TV shows and movies. (laughs) Oh, yes. So, yeah, just saying I acknowledge that some of you might have this. I am not going to be giving any treatment advice. This is also hitting like a sweet spot for us because, first of all, we're talking about something I have no expertise in, which is great. Except then you threw in that there's going to be pop culture and it's like, yes, Austin can shine. Yes. Um, I'm not going to give any treatment advice. That is something to work out with your medical professional. I could have... In part because I, I, in part I decided not to too because this is already running towards my maximum time. Okay. Especially because I have a feeling Austin's going to be interrupting me more than usual. Yeah. Yeah. So Stockholm syndrome occurs when somebody is held captive or otherwise is abused, but they have positive feelings towards their captor or abuser and relate to them on a personal level, often even developing the same ideals as them or thinking that they always had these same ideals as them. Not only that, but they begin to distrust and even hate those who would save them from this person. They'll even protect this person from those people, including the authorities. Like, you become willing to take bullets for your abuser in, the, in circum, these circumstances. It's crazy. The term comes from August 1973, when a bank was robbed and people were held hostage in Normalstrung Square in Stockholm, Sweden. A man named Jan Erik Olsen was on leave from prison. Wait, on leave from prison? Yes. Wow. You know, we used to do that in the States. We watched, I think it was an Unsolved Mysteries episode Oh, yeah, the that. guy was like, it's like, oh, yeah, we're just letting, letting everybody from this prison go shopping. It's like, be back Christmas here. Christmas shopping at the mall, yeah. Christmas shopping at the mall. And he just didn't come back. And it's like, uh-oh. Yeah, it didn't go well. And I, they still haven't found him. Um, at, it was, I can't remember what was Unsolved Mysteries. As of Mysteries. the airing of the episode, they hadn't found him. Yeah, so, and this is actually a very common thing in a lot of, like, Scandinavia. And it works, actually. In most cases, they've actually found, you know, if you turn prison into a learning experience rather than locking somebody in a cage, they lower recidivism. And people actually learn skills that keep them out of this life of crime. In this case, though, Jan Eric should not have been allowed to leave. He went into Creditbanken. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. uh, I think that translates to credit bank. Yes. And tried to rob it. He ended up taking four people hostage, and to release them, he requested three million Swedish kronor, two guns, bulletproof vests, helmets, a car, and for his friend and former cellmate Clark Olofsson to come join him. I feel like Clark Olofsson, it's like, was he still in jail? I believe so. So I I actually don't know off the top of my head because I didn't write it down. Oh, man. Okay. If I was in that situation, it's like, hey, your friend's robbing a bank and is one of his hostage demands. He needs you. It's like, um, will how I answer this affect how long I'm going to be in prison for? Clark, in the end, they did bring him. They brought him this buddy. 
Clark was charged with all of this, he was acquitted. Okay. Because they were like, oh, they must have planned this together. And Clark was like, no. No. Like, he, he's like, I'm a career criminal, but I am not a hold hostages kind of criminal. I can't remember what his other stuff he did later on was because he was not the focus. Um, probably coffee smuggling. No. No. Oh. But yeah, he his he maintained the whole time. like, I only agreed to go because I wanted to make sure Jan didn't hurt anybody. So the police got hold of this in every single one of the ransom demands and were willing to give it to them, including the giveaway getaway car. But Olofsson refused to leave because they wouldn't let him take the hostages because he knew that those guys were the only reason that they were alive. So while the standoff was going on, though, Olsen began to bond with the hostages. He gave Kristen and Mark a wool jacket when she got cold. He made her feel better after a nightmare. Birgitta Lundblund was upset because they actually he actually was letting them make phone calls. And she couldn't get a hold of her family and she got upset. So he comforted her after that. Uh, Elizabeth Oldgren said that she was claustrophobic. So he let her leave the vault while attached to a 30-foot rope. <laughs> so and so the, nice of him. And the one man, Sven, Sven Safstrom said when he treated us well we could think of him as an emergency god so he's got a gun to them this whole time he's terrifying but he's also occasionally being like oh okay oh i'm sorry about this oh here's this nice thing i can do for you oh here's this thing that will look like freedom but you're literally attached to a rope <laughs> by day two the hostages began to fear the police would hurt their captors to the point where they uh when a police commissioner came in they became hostile towards him. Like, so they let this commissioner go in just to check on the situation. And they were like, fuck you. But this also made the commissioner feel they were pretty safe because they clearly developed a positive rapport with the captors. So he's like, okay, yes, we need to get them out of there, but they are not in immediate danger. We don't need to send a SWAT team in and hope. When the hostage, Chris, uh, Kirst, I wrote on Kristen in one spot and Kirsten in another, and Mark was able to get on the phone with the prime minister. She told him that the captors had been very nice and she was afraid the police would kill them. It was to the point where even when they were threatened with violence, the captives thought, well, they could do worse. Like when they threatened to shoot Finn in the leg and he felt grateful that it was just the leg. And uh, Inmark even said, just do it. It's just your leg. What? Yeah. Um. She ended up getting investigated to see if she was part of this because she was so obsessed with, I think it was Clark. This is nuts. Like she was this attached after. After 24 hours or so. Is there some sort of like underlying mental illness we're going to learn about with her? Not with not that we know of whoa but and i will get i won't get into this too heavily people who have a history of trauma especially in their childhood are more likely to develop stockholm syndrome in situations like this anyone can you are more likely to if you have a history of trauma hmm. so after 130 hours the police used tear gas and the whole thing came to an end but the hostages refused to come out before the captors because they felt if they came out first, the police would just open fire when the other two left. The positive behaviors between the captors and the hostage takers was so positive. Oh, I already talked about how Inmark was brought up on charges or not charged, but investigated. And she was like yelling after them, like, don't hurt him. I'll see you again. I think it was to Clark. And he was like, okie dokie. <laughs> no, do you think he was like, oh, crap. I was like, I need to get, I need to go to jail. So I got to get away from her. I mean, he did it up in jail again later. Yeah. Within a few months, this behavior was called Stockholm Syndrome. This was coined by Nils Beherot, B-E-J-E-R-O-T. I think it's Beherot. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that makes more sense because it's fjord. Yeah. 
a psychiatrist who advised the police during hostage negotiations. He was a consulting physician and psychiatrist for the Stockholm Police Department, but his area of quote-unquote expertise was drugs. He had no training that I could find in hostage situations, and yet he was the psychiatrist helping them with negotiations. And when I say his expertise was drugs, he is a big part of why there are zero-tolerance policies. Oh. That is this guy. He He believed that there was no health aspect really related to it. However, the drug use could cause a health issue that would make you want more drugs. Now, yeah, you're not going to want to be an alcoholic until after you start drinking because you don't know what the effects are, but your body is predisposed to becoming an, uh, having addiction problems or not. And But he was, he very much believed in lock them up, throw away the key. They are not positive members of society and cannot, and cannot be. It's amazing how many like just systemic long-term bad ideas like have been thought of by like just by one person. It's like, oh yeah, this one guy did this, this, and this. It's like, wow. Yeah. Uh, and then in April 1974, this term would become an interle- internationally known phrase because of Patty Hearst, who is still around. She is, I believe, an actor now. Um, I recognized her, and then I forgot to write down these details. The like This is what I get from being like, this is too long, I gotta cut it down. The 19-year-old daughter of publisher Randolph Hearst, who had been kidnapped by the... She had been kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. And then she joined them. And went on a crime spree with them. Uh, when she was captured in September 7, 1975, she said they'd brainwashed her. Stockholm Syndrome. So there's the beginning of Stockholm Syndrome, a term that was more or less invented on the fly about a situation that had never really been witnessed before, but had definitely happened before. Um, and then it hit the public eye when a famous person exhibited it. Huh. So is it real? I'm, I think it's real. It sounds real. The answer is it depends on what you mean by real. If your definition of real is this is a diagnosable condition, the answer is no. If it's is this if your definition of is this real is psychiatrists recognize that it exists, the answer is yes, it's real. So it's a recognized phenomenon, but it's not a like condition that's yes. diagnosable. Yes. Uh, if something isn't in the DSM, people tend to think it's not real. But there are diagnoses it would fall on under, which are called trauma bonds. Okay, so what I, I gather from this is we need to get Bigfoot into the DSM so people start thinking he's real, because that's the only way we're going to do it. Yes. I say we plan a heist and we can use hostages to make them think Bigfoot's real <laughs> via Stockholm Syndrome. They have to all be psychiatrists so we can really, really get this driven home. Yeah. We're, oh, wow. In fact, uh, the clinical diagnoses for trauma bonds often include all the symptoms of Stockholm Syndrome, which I will get into in a minute. Um, And these have variations. Trauma bonds, though, do include a cycle of abuse, meaning abuse followed by remorse or positivity from the abuser, uh, dependence on the abuser and attachment to the abuser. Trauma bonds and other stress-related diagnoses that could be the umbrella for Stockholm Syndrome are PTSD, acute stress disorder, adjustment disorders, reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, dissociative disorder, and other specified trauma slash stressor related disorder, meaning they know there's a disorder, but they can't quite identify it. And these aren't the only ones and not all of them would work very often. Um, For instance, reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social engagement disorder are more commonly seen in children. You do see Stockholm syndrome in children, but not as common as with adults. Um, it's, It's actually a really hard thing to say that even accurately, because kids don't see that their experience is unusual yet. They don't have the experience in the world to see that 
oh, this is what abuse is. While most people with Stockholm Syndrome can look at the situation logically and go, this is weird at best. Um, Even I think it was Fen from the original one said, why don't I hate them? People who are in these situations often know when they're able to move outside or after the situation is over going, logically, I know this is wrong, but I can't help the way I feel. Kids don't really have that because they don't yet know what's wrong. So that's probably why Stockholm Syndrome, it, you, you'll see it more in teen, starting in teen years. Um, the problem with it not being in the DSM is there isn't a lot of research done on it. Uh, so a lot of the work is anecdotal, but let's see how psychologists talk about it via good therapy. Stockholm Syndrome can exist in abusive relationships or in kidnapping or hostage situations, which goes against the original definition, which had to include a hostage or kidnapping situation. It shows up when victims think there is a threat to their mental or physical health or uh, health, safety or survival. The abuser treats the captive relatively humanely or gives them the privilege of remaining alive, manipulating them into thinking they're being kind in doing so and making them think positively about them, the abuser. Good night, Wesley. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Yes, that is actually one of the example movies that came up. I'm not talking about it uh, today just because we don't see it directly in the movie. But yes, that is exactly it. I'm giving you the privilege of staying alive. And boy, aren't I nice to do that. Boy, man, the Dread Pirate Roberts is such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the abuse, abuser convinces their victim that they, the abuser, is a victim, are a victim. Um, making the victim want to help them. The balance of good and bad behavior makes the victim accept the bad, knowing the good will return. Now, this is something you've seen, I'm sure. Like, I mean, you work with the public. You see how people act. Uh Um, You see how couples act with each other. You see how families act. And you'll see that one second someone will snap at a kid or at their spouse and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I love you. Here, you can get whatever book you want. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's that is frequent. That's what this is. The victims are kept away from other people, whether this is a kidnapping situation or another one. The victims make limited to no escape attempts and begin to believe the captors uh, begin to behave how the captors want them to as a safety mechanism. So they begin to do exactly what the captors ask of them and behave in the way the captors want them to. And yes, I'll be talking about that movie here in a minute. Okay, good. And if the authorities try to intervene, the victim may not cooperate or uh, with them fully or at all. Yeah, we uh, watched a movie in preparation for this, and I guess we we're going to talk about we it. Did. It's going to be great. Um, I mentioned already that some people are more susceptible than others. Those who have a history of, of, of abuse in particular because they believe this is normal. Um, and it is their normal. And anyone can have this happen, though. So in the question of if it's real in terms of psychology, yes and no. Psychologists recognize that these symptoms exist. It is not a diagnosed illness. Now, let's look at people with Stockholm Syndrome to see if they're making it up. Because that is one thing people love to say. It's, well, you don't have Stockholm Syndrome because it's not diagnosable. But there's lots of things that aren't diagnosable. Yeah, that people still have. Uh, the one that comes to mind is manorexia. Which it's then that's one of the problems. It's, it's name a type, is so cheesy. Manorexia. It's a type of body dysmorphism in which you think I can never be fit enough. I need to be more muscular. I need to work out more, or else I'm not perfect. Holy shit! I know shit. I know things. <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. Though it's not a diagnosable disorder. It is strictly with men, and it has symptoms of several eating disorders, but is not termed as an eating disorder. And it can be hard to diagnose women with eating disorders to begin with, um, especially because guys who are super muscular, they don't, I mean, people who go to the gym in general, 
don't tend to think there's a problem because working out is good. We were taught that all through school. We were taught that by our doctors. It's like, good. how could he possibly have an eating disorder? Look at how like fit he is. Mm-hmm. He's in excellent physical health, even though his heart is probably going to explode. Yeah. Speaking of, I read today that um, they did a study of a football team in college one and 30 percent of their players who tested positive for COVID have uh, cellular heart damage. Oh, that's not that's not good. Yeah, they apparently a bunch of them have like this extremely rare disease, like, and then throw some. Their hearts are going to explode if they keep being athletes. But hashtag let them play, right? Yeah. My God. Uh, anyway, so often people who are kidnapped and held over a long period of time don't attempt to escape even as time goes on and they are granted more and more freedom. There are stories where people who are kidnapped and are allowed to leave the house, talk to the neighbors. There are cases where they've even talked to police officers and have not said, I'm so-and-so save me um it was believe yeah it was elizabeth smart they made her wear a veil and she talked directly to a police officer and he asked her to lift his her veil in it was in a public library i think like there are witnesses oh, i remember this yeah and the guy said to her it's like our religion won't let her show you show her face and he's like well we're looking for this kid and he goes well if it was her wouldn't you think she'd lift the veil to show you so she could get away from me and she she said that she remembered thinking like just just do it just do it but thinking he'll kill me and my and hurt my family and all that because you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to do. And they told you what they plan to do. Um, so people always ask them, why didn't you run? And it that's the Stockholm syndrome. In some cases, some cases, it's literally I was chained to a wall. But Stockholm syndrome is why people don't run. Most kidnappers are not threatening or violent 24-7. That is also why abuse victims end up in abusive relationships. If you go on a first date with somebody and they punch you in the face, you're probably not going to go on the second date. The punch in the face is not going to come until you are a good ways into the relationship and there's something tied up with them. That's like fifth date material right there. I'm getting the bad look. I take this all back. (laughs) They make their victims fear them, but then they start giving them privileges, like bathing or eating. It's important that these are privileges and that they are basic needs for your life, because that makes you become dependent upon them. Just like if you were a baby, you would be dependent on your parents. Um, And they make it clear that they don't have to do this for you, and it's out of the goodness of their hearts. Then they start expanding the tether longer and longer uh, until the person they victimized at every opportunity is able to escape, but they don't know what the outside world has for them now. It is only this person. There is no other world. Regarding the ones who were taken as children and then found as children, Dr. Frank Ockbeck, who was actually involved with the coining the term to begin with, uh, he's Swedish as well, said the boy, and he's talking about a, a case of a kid named Sean Hornbeck, who was found, I can't remember if it was four or five years later after he was kidnapped, living in an apartment that he skateboarded around and the captor was teaching him to drive and all this stuff when he was found. What? It's in St. Louis. I'll tell you about it later. Uh, the boy would have had to have been badly traumatized at the onset, and he would have had to have gone through a stage in which he was infantilized, meaning infant needs for food are met, food and love are met, and they begin to feel a primitive, primordial gratitude towards the person taking care of them. So he's theorizing that when someone is kidnapped in this way, their brains are reprogrammed into thinking this person is their only source of safety, nutrition, basic life needs. You break their brains. And then you reform them the way you want. This is very similar to how they like re- how they like brainwash people and like. Oh, it's... And then here's another factor that doesn't really get brought up. This is uh, Dr. Robert Pinus, co-director of the National Center of Ch- Child Traumatic Stress. 
Unless you understand the child's experience of the threat and the ways in which it's renewed, you can't understand the actions of that child. Meaning, in this case, that their idea of kidnapping is never far from their brain. So they stay with their kidnapper because, well, if I was kidnapped once, it could happen again. And at least I know what I'm in for here. What if I leave this house and somebody else kidnaps me and they kill me? So it's like, oh, my gosh, what if I leave this place and then Jeffrey Dahmer picks me up? Exactly. I don't want to be a hamburger. And then a lot of these kids who actually do get saved, when they get back to their families, they leave. They they self-emancipate and run away. Not back to their kidnapper, who's often in jail, but also often not back to them. They can't be with anybody who can have any kind of power over them. It's a fully fucked up situation. Wow. When we look at Stockholm Syndrome from the perspective of the abductees or the hostages, it's absolutely real because it is their lived experiences. And it's wrong to look at somebody who's like, I have Stockholm Syndrome and they are serious and not making a joke and look at them and go, no, you don't because it's not in the DSM. No, you're a dick now. You're the bad guy in this situation. If they're like, these are the these are the things I am living with. It's kind of like it's like Stockholm Syndrome. Well, that's not real. So go fuck yourself. No, you're the dick. Uh, in this case, you are the asshole. Mm-hmm. There is another variant on Stockholm Syndrome, which uh, we've all likely referenced at some point in our lives without realizing it, called Corporate Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, I think most of us have lived Corporate Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Psychology Today says it's becoming more and more recognized in people who have had trauma in their workplace. Now, I do not mean a workplace incident like a shooting or violence or anything like that. This is consistent daily trauma that is now being recognized as a form of its own potential for diagnosis in psychological settings. And if you're if you read teaching blogs, you'll see that there are more and more teachers who are exhibiting symptoms of PTSD. And again, not just ones who have lived through school shootings. It's just the day to day. And after COVID. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like working with the public, like being yelled at by someone several times a day for something well beyond your control and just irrational behavior. It gets to you. It like Mm -hmm. especially when you don't have a management team that will back you up with any of it. So what they say in Psychology Today is, quote, the employee experiencing corporate Stockholm syndrome typically displays a tendency to become emotionally attached to the company to the detriment of their own emotional health. The employee will also rationalize to themselves and to others is the employer's poor treatment of them as necessary for the good of the organization as a whole and angrily defend the employer's actions when those actions are questioned by an outsider. So the dynamic is the same. The employees literally rely on their employers for survival unless they are wealthy otherwise. And then, there, of course, there is a kind of a stigma to quitting your job before your mental health. People are like, just stick it out. And then we were all kind of raised in a, you know, not us as much as our parents, but. Oh, you're lucky to have a job. You're lucky to have a job. Um, Back in my day, we were loyal to one company for our entire career. Well, what if you try to find another job and they see that you've quit other jobs in the past? Why should they trust you? Which, by the way, unless you are a job hopper, meaning a couple months here, a couple months there, leaving a job, most future employers aren't going to care. And if they care, A, they should ask. And B, they're probably not someone you want to work for. Yeah. Like if you have like, you know, short term, short term, short term, they should worry. But I feel like, you know, four years at one place and then three months at another place, that usually tells an employer that there's a problem with the situation and not you. Uh, Ask a manager is a very good resource for things like this. Companies manipulate their employees by using phrases like team player, teamwork, and we're a family. And they will occasionally provide surprises or perks like letting people off a little early on a holiday or bringing in cookies for a day of long readings. I don't like this, right? 
Uh, and like when captors become distrustful of or angry toward authorities trying to save them, the loved ones of these employees often become the targets of their misdirected anger. Because they're like, they're trying to make you feel better about your day or they're trying, like, if you're sitting there bad mouthing your boss and they're like, yeah, they're a jerk. No, he's not. I mean, they have the reasons. And then you get mad at your your partner or your friend um, because they are becoming the one trying to save you from the situation where you feel some sense of loyalty. Whoa. Yeah. So we all know somebody who's been in the situation. It might be your situation right now. It might have been your situation in the past. And when people say, if you don't like America, why don't you leave? So do people say, if you don't like your job, why don't, why don't you leave? Because it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just pack up and move just like you can't just pack up and quit. Both require having a good good nest egg of money just in case. Because you do feel this loyalty to your employers. Maybe you had a really good boss who retired and was replaced by a terrible one. Maybe you work for a cause that you really, really care about and you know you're good at what you do and that you're doing this good for someone else. So you feel bad about leaving. And then when they try to keep you, they use phrases like, but they need you. But we're a family here. You wouldn't abandon your family. Uh, this is also think how of all the good you're doing. Think of all the good you're doing. We're changing the world here. You're a hero. Also, I'm cutting your pay, but I brought cookies. It's like, so sorry, we're everyone's working mandatory overtime that we're not paying you for, but pizza party. I would rather have the $3 you spent on my portion of the pizza. <laughs> um, no, I mean, pizza parties are disgustingly effective on me. Yeah. It's like the amount of indignity I will go to if you say you're getting me pizza. It's shocking. If, if there's something competitive involved, like whoever does the best this gets an Amazon gift card. I'm like, I'm going to win this. So is corporate Stockholm syndrome real? Yes and no. Yes, it is very real if you're experiencing it. No, it is not the D in the DSM. And no, it is not widely spoken about in psychological fields. But the fact that work can have traumatic effects on people when not a war zone situation or similar is becoming better known. So no, it is not an official diagnosis, corporate Stockholm Syndrome, in any way. But it's real. In the sense that it's real. <laughs> um, and if you are struggling with anything like that, ask a manager is a good resource, and she will like give you steps about how you can get out of these situations without ruining your future. Um, and then we've got the problem, people uh, not buying into Stockholm Syndrome, or believing it exists, but not taking it seriously, or having gross misunderstanding of it, because of fiction in the media. First, there's, but it's romantic. The one that troubles me the most is Daenerys in Game of Thrones. I've read the books. I've seen the show. The stories are largely the same, but in the books, I believe she is 14 years old. Yes. She is forced into marrying her husband, Khal Drogo. She is a literal child in the book. And I think she's supposed to be like, what, 16 in the TV show? Something like that. Yeah. So still a literal child. He repeatedly rapes her. And beats her. But by the end, you know, she got him to say something nice to her and learn a couple of words of her own language. And, you know, he must really love her to the point where she was actually willing to, like, watch the world burn to the fucking ground if somebody said something mean about him. And that was her driving motivation the entire series, was that this guy who repeatedly raped and beat her was dead now. And she was going to burn the fucking world. She's like, oh, cool. I'm just going to carry on this dream, which was also came from her abusive brother before yes. that guy. And that also goes back to Whoa. Stockholm Syndrome is more likely in those who have been abused previously. And we also have to um, like think about it. This is the couple that the fan fiction is about. This is uh, the, maybe the fan fiction you read. This is the hypersexualized couple in the series, other than the Lannisters, which we're not going to talk about. Oh, yeah, that's a whole other, that's a whole another thing. Like, the, and people romanticize this. They think that this is love, and it's not. 
It's not. That's that is abuse. You see, um, the fan fiction I read is all about uh, Jon Snow and the Wall and Sam Winchester. <laughs> you doing some crossover stuff on fanfiction.net? Um, that's the only reason to do fan fiction. Actually, now I want to look on fanfiction.net and see oh, if that's I on there. You it's that's on hilarious. There. The Sam switch, uh, Sam from the wall is suddenly in the supernatural universe and Dean's like trying to figure out what to do. Oh my God. That's Especially amazing. because he keeps insisting that he is Sam and he's not lying. <laughs> okay. We, yeah. we got to go write this after we're done. Yeah. Okay. We're, in fact, we're... stop right now. We got to go write this now. Okay. We will. We're, this is, <laughs> we've got our project for tomorrow. And then of course we have Beauty and the Beast. That's a tale as old as time. Yes. As is Stockholm Syndrome and Abuse. <laughs> So in this book, or in this book, movie, TV show, all of it, you've got a woman who is literally held captive by a beast, but then he gives her some books. And she's he doesn't like, even give her books. He's like, you can go into my library. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't even... like, he, he lets her borrow books. <laughs> Do you think he charges her late fees? He might not, but Cogsworth certainly does. <laughs> yeah, so he lets her look at books, basically, and... She's like, oh, this isn't so bad. I get to look at the books and then I can escape this hellscape that I'm in using fiction. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just, I just combined Belle and, oh God, the Anne Hathaway from Les Miserables. I, went, I forgot her name. She sings I Dreamed a Dream. Yes, I know. Um, Cosette? No. No, that's the kid. Cosette's mom. Yes, Cosette's mom. I would normally remember it, but I was reading something else and then I lost it. I know. Um, so a survey from Sav Savion Energy asked, I don't know why an energy company was asking this, 2,400 parents about which Disney princess was the best role model or was a good role model, not the best, because the way the statistics worked out, it wouldn't have been a one, a one answer. 85% voted for Belle. She was the number one in terms of being a good role model for their daughters. This is after Mulan came out. This is after Pocahontas came out. This is after Brave came out. This is after Moana came out, I think. But definitely after Brave. Because was Brave before or after Moana? Before. Okay, Moana might not have been out because I don't have yeah. the actual study in front of me. But well, I can kind of see why Belle would think she's such a good role model because she was studious. She was kind to her father. She was good to like all of the servants in this castle. And, that's... and she taught the beast manners. And yeah. she was obedient. Yeah, yeah. Um, the second one was Jasmine. Who also obedient and studious. Yeah, it's like, she is not a prize to be won. And then he is like, but I can take you on this magic carpet. And remember, bitch, I can push you off. Actually, Aladdin would never say that. He would never, he would never do that. He would do, he would sing it. It's like, honestly, Jasmine's kind of a badass, but there are some questionable things. Like there isn't any Disney princess movie. Um, but yeah, like Mulan, I'm like. Um, I'm sorry, Mulan, is the problem that she's not obedient because she literally goes to war so her dad doesn't die? Is it that she dresses like a man? Is that the problem? I think it's because um, these were American parents? Uh, British, I think. British? Oh, she, she wasn't white. <laughs> um, so I looked at, looked at the rest of the survey, which was summarized on moms.com. The whole thing made me, made me really nervous. Moms.com? Okay, good. I was I, I always kind of assumed moms.com would be a very different website. No. Um, so they ranked her on their own as well. They put her at third saying, quote, although some see her and yes, these are sentence fragments. I can't figure out why they use the word although. Although some see her as outspoken, attention seeking or perhaps a victim of Stockholm syndrome who fall in love with her captor, period. That is the whole sentence. 
Sounds she, like a mom needs to, you know, hire an editor. It seems like Belle's strong, self-assured personality can conquer anything, all while keeping up with her studies and being a good daughter. Exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've been dealing with uh, suburban mommies long enough. I understand the language. And the bell situation is one of the most dangerous, sticky traps that is set for, I mean, I'm sure men have this too, but for women, you can fix him. You can fix him. You can change him. Yet he's rough right now. And that's the thing. That's the Jasmine problem too. He's a diamond in the rough. All he needs is someone to fix him. But at least, you know, he's not a beast who will lock you in a cage, probably. She does get locked in a cage, though, but it's by Jafar. I guess they get, that does kind of exist, like, in uh, Taming of the Shrew, but that's, like, the only version I can think of where it's, like, where the man is fixing the woman, like that. Um, My Fair Lady. Oh, yeah. For Pygmalion, which is just My Fair Lady, but without the singing. Yes, Pygmalion came first. But, yeah, uh, this whole her personality can conquer anything in a situation that's clearly Stockholm Syndrome is, yeah, but she made him, she fixed him. And she fixes him by engaging in a sexual act. Because that's what romantic kissing is. It's a low-grade one in terms of, you know, danger to your health and safety. But it is still a sexual act committed in a relationship in which she has largely been held against her will. And she does it to save this guy who has in some way convinced her that he is a victim. That is classic Stockholm Syndrome. Wow. I love Beauty and the Beast. It's a remarkable movie. I still don't understand why they had to do a live action remake of it. I love the live action remake. I, do, I, I have like a problem with live action remakes. It's like make a new fucking movie. Already. I typically do. But this was so good. It was so good. And they had, um, oh, from Downton Abbey is the Beast. Uh, blonde guy. Matthew? Yes. And he's so good. And the guy who plays Gaston is so good. And Josh Gad is in it. And Emma Ian Watson. Ian McKellen. Yes. And Ian McKellen and uh, Otto McDonald. Come on, man. Like, you won't catch me seeing The Lion King. Because why? Why? Would... That's not even live action. What is happening? That's just animated. It's just upsetting. It's just upsetting faces on CG animals. But if we wanted to do that, we'd watch Cats again. Good. It's good. And you love Emma Watson. Don't lie. I do. Um, and then there's the joking idea of it. Austin already mentioned the comic strips that are all like, I love my, w I don't love my wife. I just have the Stockholm syndrome. Um, so that's really common. If you look on the website cartoonstuck.com, there is an entire section dedicated to comics about Stockholm syndrome. I did, uh, there is, I know a Stockholm syndrome joke. Are you ready for it? I feel like something about me being trapped is the punchline. So I've been reading a book about the history of Stockholm Syndrome. I didn't like it at first, but now I can't put it down. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, now, some of these jokes on this comic site are satire, and a lot of them are about workplaces. Um, and it's kind of pointing out, you know, it's like, maybe your workplace isn't healthy. But the ones that are about intimate relationships of any kind tend to not be satirical, but the kind of humor that makes your stomach hurt. The kind that's been forwarded 78 times from from a distant aunt. And of course, there are those that combine these two ideas, which are comedy and romance. In these, a man kidnaps a woman and she falls in love with him. Obviously, some are most are comedies, not all are. And sometimes they reverse the genders, though rarely. And I wanted to mention this particular one because it relates to an earlier episode on which I talked about Hallmark Christmas movies. 
Although really, if you think about it too hard, all Hallmark Christmas movies are just Stockholm Syndrome, as was us watching all of them. Yes. Like, oh my God, that um, the Christmas the Christmas Wish that was oh, Stockholm that was Syndrome. The worst one. That was Stockholm Wait, no, Syndrome. Actually, no, that wasn't. That wasn't even the worst one. The Christmas but it was card still bad. was the worst one. Ugh, but like, because you know, she woke up in that other life with a dick of a husband and having nothing of hers, and then after a while, she's like, "But this is my life now, and, and I love it." Two horrible children. Like, the kids were. Terrible, terrible. And oh god, her like it's like oh yeah, we're throwing a party. It's like pizza. What is wrong with you, woman? Make me a home cooked meal. Well, we talked about this and we agreed, and I'm happy with my life. But if you're not, I guess that has to be a different conversation. I mean, if you really loved the kids, you wouldn't want to go get another job, would you? And more importantly, he had just gone on about how miserable he is at his fucking job. Okay, sorry. Okay, it's on the blog. Ten days of Shabermas. Um, so this is called Holiday in Handcuffs. It's a loved this movie. Style Christmas movie, but it is actually an ABC family one. It is supposed to make us feel all warm and fuzzy. Um, in this, Melissa Joan Hart kidnaps one of her customers from her uh, restaurant, Mario Lopez, who uh, he, she does this at gunpoint. More importantly, she does it at flintlock pistol gunpoint. Did you ever figure out if the gun was going to be that quiet or not? I mean, it's a flintlock pistol. Those things make a real loud boom. And in the movie, it made kind of a um, she forces him to come to a secluded cabin in the woods, miles away from anything else. Oh, and her whole family is there for Christmas. Also, uh, on the way there, um, he is tied up in her car and oh God, an adorable old man comes out to fill out her gas tank and he's like, what's going on here? She's like, oh, we're going to get down to some, uh, dirty, kinky, tie me up fun. And the old man's like, oh, you, that's so adorable. And he brings her out some fuzzy handcuffs. ABC Family was scandalous with this movie. Um, yeah. Like, this isn't really related to the Stockholm Center, but they also have a character come out to their family during it. And yeah, ABC Family. This is 2007. ABC Family doesn't fuck around. Unlike what the old man thought Mario Lopez and Melissa Joan Hart were going to do. Oh, yeah. Um, he starts by making escape attempts. He managed to get a call um, to his fiance. Not the police. He's been there for a couple of days by this time. If he had gotten a phone immediately, I, probably would have been the police. I don't think he knows where he is for a but he, place. No, but he told his fiance, I'm about two hours north. I'm in a cabin that looks like this. I, The nearest town is this far away. He was able to give her that information. They found him as he could have done the same thing with the police. Yeah. Also, we were supposed to hate the fiance. I felt bad for her. She was kind just... of a bitch, but... But we also don't really get to know her. No, and like she thought he had stood her up. Yeah, she was mad. It's like, he stood me up. Yeah, and then after a while, he decides to give in to what Melissa John Hart's heart wants from him, which is a survival method I mentioned earlier. However, they uh, both... Yeah. They even like take away his clothes, give him new clothes. Yes. Her family thinks that he's joking about all this kidnapping stuff. Yeah, she managed so to being, run in beforehand and tell them that. He's gaslit, like she was withholding food from him. Then she'd bring him jerky and say, oh... It's going to be great. You're going to have fun. Yeah. And she even at one point offers to let him go if he promises to be a good boy for one more meal. But that's when the movie ends after that. Um, They both start to buy into it. You already mentioned literally everything that's written here. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, they start to both buy into it. And even at that, like after that dinner or before that dinner, the grandmother of family decides to leave. She is in her car. Mario Lopez sees her in the car. He gets in the car. And instead of saying, let's go, granny, he says, 
you know, you really shouldn't be driving. Let me have the keys in a clear. T- and he's like, we need to stay. We need to stay. She actually says to him, I'm bored. Come with me. And she would have believed him, too. Like, yeah. she Gra- liked him. Grandma. Grandma's- Grandma did not like her family. Yeah. Grandmas um, are way insightful. It's like, oh, you are telling the truth. Oh, my God. My family are psychopaths. Yeah. Which, so by the way, they were psychopaths. He, had, he was in a vehicle with a driver willing to take him away from this. And he said no. That is how far that he had come in this. And, and part of it was because she had been drinking too much. But she said, come with me. I bet if he had said, okay, but I'm driving. She would like, all right. I guess I'd be the passenger in your car, sexy man. Because that's how she's treating him the whole time. Yeah. So- um. And then the police arrive, and he declines to press charges. And all of the family members, including most Jen Hart, are released without consequences. Now, I googled this. You cannot decline charges in a kidnapping case. That is a state case. They decide whether or not charges will be filed. And yes, charges would have been filed because when the police came in, she admitted to all of it. And also, uh, Granny whips out the flintlock pistol. Yeah, Grammy, Granny did the, get in trouble. She was kept in jail. That was the best part of the movie, if you ask me. You're coming out and she's like, all right, one of us has to defend this family. (laughs) Um, And then later on, he's supposed to get married and she's all sad because he's marrying the other person. And then he pretend kidnaps her and they go on their first date because that's how they met. And so that means it's sweet. Oh, that's oh, my God. Imagine their future children. It's like they get thrown in the trunk. And they pop out and it's like, welcome to Disneyland. It's like, oh, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Yeah. So this is a comedy that we are supposed to feel warm and fuzzy and safe after watching. Oh, no, we were cracking up the entire time. Oh, my time. God, it was hilarious. I, I didn't feel threatened by this movie, but no. I did not feel warm and fuzzy by this movie. No, but we were also looking at it from the point of view of Stockholm Syndrome and not just on the surface level as a movie. No, I was just looking at this on the surface as a movie. And while most of us watch these things and think, well, I can tell fiction from reality, the more we're exposed to things like this, the less they begin to affect us. It's like a boy cried wolf situation on steroids. So we might feel icked out the first time we see something like this, but the more we see it played in a romantic or comic or both way, we begin to feel like that's acceptable and normal, and we are the weird ones to feel otherwise. Twilight. Ugh. This might be a big part of why people think Stockholm Syndrome isn't real, is they are desensitized to it and it's a joke, so it obviously can't be a serious condition. I don't have a study to back this up because this whole thing is not studied, but something else is, and that is breast cancer. And there's a phenomenon called pinkwashing, which is when everything turns pink in October or when you go into a store and you see all these things that are branded with a pink ribbon. And people believe that these pink things are funding breast cancer research or treatments, which they are largely not. Uh, Instead of being treated like a serious illness, especially in the month of October, breast cancer is turned into product and fun activities for the whole family. Plus, the whole topic is sexualized. They claim to be raising awareness this way, but they actually aren't sharing valuable information. So people begin to glaze over. They begin to associate breast cancer with fun runs and craft times. They make jokes about boobs and boob cancer. Men are completely left out of the conversation, and men account for 1% of all breast cancer cases, which is not a small number. And the whole thing becomes lighthearted because the whole thing is just so darn fun. Look at all these fun activities we do. So... There's a lot of people in the breast cancer community who have problems with this whole pink thing because oh, of this. 
Remember when they like dyed all like a bunch of the fountains pink? Oh my god, it was awful. And everyone looked like there had been like a murder in this fountain. Yeah, it looked like blood. And then of course there are also mental illnesses and learning disabilities treated this way. A really common one is amnesia in soap operas. Like all, we, when and, I think of amnesia, I think of Gilligan's Island and coconuts. Yeah, so like we make fun of amnesia. It is a legitimate mental health problem that people have. Bipolar disorder is sudden emotional highs and lows often played for laughs. Obsessive compulsive disorder and ADHD jokes in film and in everyday conversation. Oh, I'm so OCD. Oh, I'm so ADHD. First of all, you are not OCD or ADHD because you are not a disorder. Whether or not you have it, you are not your disorder. Um. And you can be obsessive compulsive. You cannot be an obsessive compulsive disorder. I know. I think I have met some children that are just the personification of ADHD. <laughs> now, I'm not saying we shouldn't make jokes about anything ever, because that is very much not my if personality. That was the, if that was the case, our podcast would be dead. Um, I don't think we should be offended by every little thing, because the more you're offended by something, when something is actually offensive, people stop realizing it. Because by this point, I'm offended by this. I'm offended by this. I'm offended by this. They're going to be like, oh, she's just offended by everything. Uh, like I've mentioned before that I have ADHD and I think some of the jokes are funny. Uh, the bicycle and squirrel ones, not funny. Those are played out. Stop. Yeah. Find something new. Um, but these jokes do indicate a lack of understanding by the general population. And such is the case with Stockholm syndrome. No one is running around making jokes or saying that stomach cancer isn't real. But they're running around saying it about illnesses that are joked about in the media. These things aren't real because they're funny. So while I can't legally or medically declare Stockholm Syndrome as real or not real, the symptoms of it are definitely real to the people who live with it. That is the answer to the big question. There's one last thing I want to mention. Okay. Lima Syndrome. This is is from... that where you've been taken captive by some green beans that taste bad? That's Lima. Oh. This is also from a hostage situation in Lima, Peru in 1996. Hundreds of guests at a Japanese ambassador's party were taken hostage by the Tupac Amaru Revolutionary Movement, who wanted some of their members released from prison, among other things. The hostages were largely diplomats and people high up in the government, meaning that these were really good people to use in this, in this circumstance. The last ones were released in April of 1997. This was about four months that these people were held hostage. Four months of a hostage standoff situation. Oh, man. But within about a day or two, they released, and this is the day or two of it starting, they released all of the female captives. And then slowly over time, they started just releasing more and more in the middle of the first month, particularly foreign ones who were not, you know, not Japanese. At the end of it, pretty much everybody who was left was Japanese, people who worked directly with the Japanese ambassador. Releasing them made no sense, and they were largely released unharmed. It turned out some of the captors were teenagers who didn't understand what they were doing and just needed a paycheck. They began to become attached to their Japanese hostages, with some of them even saying, you know, when this is all over, I'm going to go to Japan and go to school because they couldn't go to school. Oh, that's heartbreaking. This is called Lima Syndrome, when the captors begin to relate to their hostages instead of the other way around. The Japanese hostages were not doing as well mentally. They did not begin to relate to their captors too much, although a lot of them were very upset when they found out their teenage captors had been executed because they executed 100% of them. They were kids and they recognized that these are children. Yeah. Don't use kids. If you're no. if you are going to take people hostage, just get adults involved. I mean, don't take people hostage, but at least don't bring kids into it. Yeah. So that's everything you need to know about Stockholm syndrome. So I'll leave you with if it's not in the DSM, the way these people feel is very real and should be treated with the same kindness you'd treat somebody with other actual certified diagnoses. Wow. Yeah. Told you it was a big one. That was a big one. 
You ready for some questions? I'm ready for questions. Uh, will this be on the test? Stockholm syndrome can occur in relationships, workplaces, and hostage slash kidnapping situations. I mean, most of it, except for the workplaces, because we can't have our future work uh, future workers not being like excellent little workers for us. And I'd argue that it's possible in schools too. Oh, like yeah. for students. Mm-hmm. I did not see anything on that, but I'd argue it. We just we don't want to talk about that stuff. I mean, there's definitely like some of those cases where like you see like the videos of the coach hitting the kid and the kids defend the coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely happens. Uh, Stockholm syndrome isn't in the DSM-5, but that doesn't mean the symptoms aren't real. Yes, they'll be on the test. It was named by a guy with no actual qualifications, and he actually just wanted to lock people up for smoking the ganja. Yeah, I think it'll be on the test because we need to make this guy who makes drugs look bad look better. And the opposite of Stockholm syndrome is Lima syndrome. Yes, that will be on the test. Yeah, so that was a lot. That was a ton. Um, and it's one of those things where if you, if you look at it, it can be... It, it's a it's a tough one because I'm also not I don't want to be like never make a movie like Holiday and Handcuffs again or like um never make a movie like A Christmas Wish again but you can yeah. make another Holiday and Handcuffs I'd or be fine with God that. what is the, I just blinked on it um they break into a radio station to get their album played uh, Airheads yes it's got Brendan Fraser in it yes that's a Stockholm syndrome situation oh yeah yeah I guess it is uh Saving Silverman yeah even though that that one's kind of a weird one even for for that but. And I also came across National Treasure as being one when I was looking. Oh yeah, because yeah, 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 yeah. They kidnap. Okay. They they kidnapped the uh, the Declaration of Independence. It started to love them. They, they kidnapped a historian. In the second one, they kidnap the President of the United States. So yeah, it's it's a tough topic, but it's worth the discussion, and it's worth kind of looking at it as you know, comedy can't exist without taking some risks, but you also need to just make sure you're not being a dick. Yes. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, about, yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Are you, so are you ready to, to move on? Because, oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's been a long one. And I really want that pizza that you're making. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about... Last week, we talked about... Uh, you talked about a New Year's thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of jogged my memory on something that happened 20 years ago. I'm going to talk about the Y2K bug. I guess it technically happened 21 years ago now. Oh, yeah. I guess it was 21 years ago. Or one of the many times we thought the world was going to end, but it obviously didn't. Are we sure that it didn't? Oh, my God. There is pizza sauce on you. What? Okay, fine. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> so. Remember the ADHD I literally just talked about? I have amnesia. So for those of you who uh, don't know what this was, let me break it down for you. Youths. Youths. Basically, way back in the 60s, uh, computer memory was not as great as it was now, and it was expensive. So programmers and computer engineers did a lot of stuff to save space so they could save money. And one of those things was instead of writing out the date as four digits, like 19999, or one nine, yeah, 1999 for 1999, they just write it out as 99 for 99. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem was, is what would happen to the computers and all of this stuff that depended on it when the date went from 99 to 00? Excel spreadsheets would just explode. Yeah, they did. And it could, they thought that this could cause a lot of problems in finance, communications, transportation, etc. It's like there's all sorts of stuff that this will mess up that depend on dates. And if dates go crazy, the computers won't really know what to do and it'll cause all these bugs. Uh, they knew this was going to be a problem back in the 60s when they did this, but they thought, you know what? We'll deal with that That's later. future me's that, problem. That, that's like, it's like, we'll have better computers in the future. They'll be able to expand these dates. It won't be a big problem. And in 1997, scientists, computer scientists were like, okay, we're going to fix this now. We need to fix this. And it was largely fixed in 1997. Mm-hmm. 
they saw this potential problem and they had to spend a lot of time and money fixing it, but they did and they were confident that everything was taken care of and it wouldn't be a big disaster. And the, the fixes they developed were very clever and very smart, like adding more digits to stuff or changing the way digits were notated or just like putting in programs that would translate dates to something else, which was the actual date, which worked great and was a brilliant fix to this big problem because they are professionals that know how to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. But there were non-computer people who were in the loop on this, like business leaders who freaked the fuck out when they heard this could affect the financial markets. And they didn't want to listen to the experts like, we're going to, when this is fixed, this is going to be fine. And they just thought this was going to cause a total global financial collapse. And they started talking about this and being worried about it. So then people in the media started talking about it and getting worried about it. So then the general public heard about this and started worrying about the Y2K problem. I remember I was in eighth grade at this time, maybe seventh. Yeah, eighth grade. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and like reading a couple articles about it going, oh, okay. So if you have an old computer, this could cause some computer issues. Meanwhile, there were adults like at my school and around me who were like COVID style stocking up on water bottles. Oh, yeah. This was and because this is literally a bad sci-fi movie plot. There is a vague computer problem and there is a ticking top clock until there is a global disaster. So people related to this, even though they didn't understand the computer stuff, they understood all of this stuff. And it made it obvious to people like, wow, you mean there's a computer in my car? There's a computer that does this. There's computers that manage all of this stuff. But they have forgotten since then. And now they are not wearing masks and complaining about being tracked while sitting on their iPhones. Yeah. So people learned that the compu- how important computers had become in our lives because it was a relatively new thing where like network well, computers were everywhere. Yeah. The previous 30 or so years. Yeah. So and, you know, you know how, you know, please, as adults, you know how adults are. Yeah, we don't realize things are happening to us until it's pointed out. Yeah. And um, at first, the tech companies were just, oh, uh, this is not a problem. We're fixing it. We're going to handle it. There's probably going to be some minor glitches, but nothing major. Life will go on. This is going to be fine. Yeah. Kind of like the doctors right now. Yeah. But then um, this is where it gets kind of shady. They realized, oh, wow, um, everyone is freaking out. So there's lots of like corporations that are spending way too much money getting unnecessary computer upgrades and people are wanting Y2K preparedness like kits and patches. So we are going to publicize, hey, we're fixing Y2K and talk about the fixes of Y2K because they were making money. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, cool. We'll make money off this. Yeah. I can't say I blame them. It's really down the, on the consumer's faults this time. Yeah, it was totally. And, and of course, the panic was still spreading, even though that's like, oh, yeah, we've got these fixes we're throwing out there. It is estimated that between a hundred billion and four hundred billion dollars was spent preparing for the disaster that was going to happen with Y2K. Not the fix itself, just disaster preparedness for Y2K. This included stuff like food and toilet paper stockpiling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, people were making sure to get paper records printed off of everything in case the, you know, the databases all went down, which, by the way, they were all backed up and they could just roll stuff back if there was a big problem. So it was you were never going to lose your data. That was never going to yeah, happen. You can manually go in now and change your computer's date. Yeah. Um, there was people saying you need to have lots of cash on hand in case like oh, no God, banking goes down. Um, some people even went so far as to buy gold because they assumed the American <gasps> right? government was going to collapse. And because gold would necessarily be valuable after that. Yeah. Uh, Bill Clinton actually spent $56 million 
on a Y2K preparedness command center that would be able to like track problems and go in and fix stuff as an emergency. Also, Bill Clinton uh, notoriously did not understand computers at all and didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, yeah. We need uh, presidents who are younger. Yeah. Uh, bunkers were built. That's amazing. Because people thought that, oh, our nuclear missile systems are controlled by computers. And so if Y2K happens, all of the nuclear missiles are going to be launched. I remember that. I remember I was 13 and thinking, I'm pretty sure there are like manual portions that have to get done before the computers even turn on. And uh, I was looking at some interviews. A man in New York City said uh, he knew there was a small chance, but he wanted to be safe. Because bunkers will definitely protect you from nuclear fallout. Mm -hmm. And other people were like, oh, yeah, I'm just buying all this stuff, you know, to be prepared. And, you know, if it doesn't happen, I've just, you know, I'll be eating canned food for a while. This is fine. And yet most people do not have tornado preparedness kits here in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. go bags in hurricane and earthquake prone areas. People don't have these things because they are so everyday going back to Stockholm Center where we have just fucking accepted these as our reality. And in some extra sense, like, you know, it's YTK is not going to happen. But if people are actually taking basic disaster preparedness steps, if there is a disaster, great. They can just use their Y2K bag in two years when there's a hurricane. Except they threw them out afterwards. Yeah, they absolutely did. And. Uh, another a child was talking to someone, a, a reporter, and mentioned that his mother had bought a bunch of flashlight, flashlights, dozens of flashlights, but did not buy any batteries for them. And he said, don't worry, I think we have some leftover Hanukkah candles. We'll be fine. <laughs> I wonder how much the kid was making fun of his mom with that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, it's sad because back then, and it's true now, too teenagers kids understood how this was going to go better than adults do just like now you look at an ipad and you just look at a kid and they're like i'll fix it (laughs) oh just i remember like when this was going on like i remember family members like buying and stockpiling stuff and we went to a new year's eve party but my dad's like okay listen um come like make sure you're standing next to me at midnight if the power goes out we're just gonna go home okay we're just like make sure you're in your car with a computer yeah and it's like it, it made well it made no sense zero sense i remember people adults in my life filling the bathtub full of water yeah because, i've never quite understood that one. Oh, because uh, computers control the water systems too mm-hmm. it's dumb i'm trying to contemplate if that's really true at least at a great enough extent that we have to worry about it for a while probably it's not really uh and hundreds of books were written about the worst case scenarios for Y2K. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst case scenario is that Backstreet Boys would become the leading boy band. No, I'm gonna. This is something I've mentioned before. I talk about any of this stuff. None of these were written by experts in any of these fields. They were just written by people, and a lot of them were admitted even by the authors. It's like I was gonna make a buck off of this trend by scaring people, and some of them were even written specifically to spell sell specific products. Like, Part of me wants to be like, shame on you. Part of me is like, you know, that that's a go-getter attitude. Yeah. Um, They predicted stock market crashes worse than 1923. Gold was going to be bought out early and it was going to cause the market to crash even if Y2K didn't happen because everyone was going to be so worried they were just going to buy gold. So buy gold now. Uh, The grid would crash and anything electric wouldn't work. As if there is one central grid. Yeah. Uh, your bank about accounts would disappear 
because of negative interest being applied when everything thought, oh, the date is now 1900. Well, we're going to take you're going to apply negative interest to this, which anyone who studied computers, that's not how that works. That wouldn't have done that. Also, uh, ballsy of them to assume people had savings accounts. Hey, this was pre-2008. People had savings <laughs> accounts. I think I even had a savings account yeah. then. Uh, you know, uh, authors even went so far as like guaranteeing that the, the American government was going to absolutely fall on January 1st, 2000, which even if this had happened, the government wouldn't immediately fall. It would not be a less than 24 hours for the government to collapse. Has any government collapsed that quickly ever? Probably. I mean, you know, the little kingdoms we created on the playground and shit. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, there's like some like wartime situations in which a country has been conquered that quickly, but like just collapsing from a disaster. Atlantis. They're still there. They're still there. They are running a very yeah. successful con- country. And when they need things, all they do is sink some boats or crash in planes. Um, one person mentioned that he was convinced that uh, baseball was doomed. It was no longer going to be the American pastime. I mean, was he wrong? It was already football. Because at this point. right now the American pastime is being mean on the internet. Yeah. Oh yes, it is. Uh, gas pumps would stop working because they have computers in them. Yeah, that one came up again after September 11th. Yeah. Um, foods. You know, there's going to be food shortages in the cities, so you need to get out of the cities. Uh, you need to get somewhere further south because you know it's cold in January, so you want to be someplace where you can survive with there's no heat or electricity. And the southerners are like, "Please leave us alone." It's like, how how do y'all? What are you doing here? Also, it's not summer in the South. Yeah, and people in like this, people in like northern cities were buying like propane propane heaters for their house, which you can't use in your house because they give off carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide gas, and you'll suffocate. So people were preparing but doing it poorly and giving bad advice on how to prepare for this. Uh, People were saying that you need to buy a car from before 1980 because of those dang computers, and you need to learn how to farm because everything's going to collapse, and that's the only way you're going to survive. 1980. Yeah. You need to buy a car that is literally falling apart. Yeah. It's like at that point, that was a 20 year old car. Uh, no, that was a 2000 to 1980. Yeah. More than 20 years old. More than 20. Yeah. Plumbers were running ads to Y2K proof your sewers. That's amazing. Um, Because, you know, the sewer system also runs computers and you don't want sewage backing up into your house. I mean, you don't want sewage backing up into your so house. So they were, they were selling stuff to make sure sewage wouldn't back up into your house. They're basically going to come and pump your sewer system. Yeah. Which is what you would normally do, but they paid, but they charged more. I don't know if they charged they more, charged but they were more. telling you to do Yeah. And of course, there would be gangs of marauding, gun-toting men everywhere. I remember Well, I mean, that part isn't wrong. I don't remember Y2K specifically, but as we've seen, the reaction to everything is get the gun. Get your guns! Yeah. So, and these were the non-fiction titles. Mm -hmm. There was even an entire genre of Y2K disaster novels Mm -hmm. that were just everywhere at this time. And to get it on the money, in 1999, in November, NBC aired a TV movie called Y2K The Movie, ready, in which the computer bug causes a string of nuclear meltdowns in our hero is in a race against time to save America before it hits midnight and the computer bug makes our nuclear reactors go crazy. I think I remember Prince buying into all of this, too, because they're all like, oh, it's 1999. Prince, let's interview Prince about his song. 1999, he's like, the world is going to end. That's what the song is truly about. Yeah. He fully believed in this. Yep. If I remember right. And of course, like, while he's like trying to stop these reactors from melting down, um, the bug also opens all of the jail doors in Texas, 
which this doesn't play, take place in Texas, but by God, every jail and they were like, Texas was overrun by criminals. Texas was overrun by people who had committed petty crimes and were mostly like, uh, can I leave? Can I, do I have to stay? Like, What's going on? Yeah. And the most horrifying part of this is Jay Leno was the only like TV presence on the air because everything else shut down. But by God, Jay Leno managed to stay on the air. So Jay Leno was the face of the news and information <laughs> Jay Leno for is... America during its biggest crisis. Jay Leno, the face of the apocalypse. This is a shitty movie by all counts. Uh, why haven't we watched this? We watched we might... a movie for mine. We can watch a movie for mine. We'll do a report on... I don't know if we can even find this movie. It's called Y2K. It's an ABC Y2K, movie. Y2K, the NBC movie. It's Y2K, the movie. Don't I, look this up. I got you. I got yeah. you. And, uh... It also made so many people panic because it was so close and people were already worried. And then ABC airs NBC. You got me saying ABC now. NBC airs this movie. Well, I mean, think about right now. They've delayed the production, the release of a lot of things. Like, I think The Stand was supposed to be released, you know, in June. Yeah. And and it was it made people panic. And it was also pan universally by everyone as just wildly inaccurate. It's like none of this is going to happen. This is fiction. This is pure fiction. They had to keep stating that. And just in addition to like the regular panic caused by people worried about computer problems, there's an entire other level to this of normal doomsday predictions that were shoveled on on top of this because, oh, my God. Y2K computer problem is just a bigger part of the second coming or these Nostradamus predictions. I God, the Nostradamus predictions. I remember those like nine, like oh, 9-11 was one of those too. Remember? Yeah. Oh, uh, Nostradamus has bit, uh, made these predictions 400 years ago. And people keep pointing to the exact same ones as signs that the world is going to end with these reasons. Mm-hmm. Because these are just vaguely worried, a he's got a vaguely worded series of quadrain poems that we can interpret to match just about you found it. I found Y2K the movie. Oh my god. Oh, it even has the old commercials. Yes, this is recorded off of somebody's TV. Um, I'm not entirely sure what site I'm on, but... <laughs> We're on a little... Oh, I'm on the Internet Archive. Oh, Damn. I mean, I'm not saying it's a legal posting of it, but I didn't post it. Yeah. And just these uh, people could apply to virtually any situation. And they had been wrong predicting the end of the world with Notre Dame's predictions 20 times before this. Hailsorp. And they've been wrong since this predicting the end of the world. Yeah, the Mayans were supposed to kill us in 2012. Yeah. And, of course, there was also the Christian groups. We're really scared of calendars. Oh, no, it's actually, this is a phenomenon. And basically, every time there is a big calendar event, there are groups that think it's the end of the world because they like to tie this to it. And there's, like, big Christian fringe groups who thought Christ was returning uh, 2,000 years after his death to judge our progress and he was going to be super mad. Now, the calendar had changed since Jesus died. Yes. We've and talked also, about this a little bit. So... Really, like, that would be January 1st, 2000 is a little bit ridiculous if we're going exactly 2,000 years, because it wouldn't have been. And yeah, also, it the millennium... Would've, it would have... I mean, depending on which calendar even, considering yeah. the accurate one for this, I think it would have been earlier. Yeah. So, it's just kind of... It was entirely ridiculous. And there was one man I want to talk about. What is... And is 2,000 years... Like, the year 2000, is that... Is that 30 years... Never mind. Never mind. I'm not making any. Well, yes, I am. Is A.D. after death or after birth? Anus Domine. I, I think, know. I don't it means know. after. It means like after dominion. It's like yeah. after the di after the recognition years, of the years divinity. Of our, year of our Lord. 
Yeah, so meaning it's... it was after his birth, which means that it wouldn't be until 2033, motherfuckers. Oh, it, trust me. We're going to get into this. I don't know if I'm right or not. I should Google yeah, this. Yeah. So there, I'm going to talk about another guy. It was a computer programmer from Canada, uh, David, David Robert Loblaw. Does he have a law blog? No, he has a Y2K blog. Rob Loblaw's law blog. Um, Rob Loblaw's law blog. He was trying desperately to explain to people, this is fine. Everything's fine. Everyone who's worrying about this, this is a hoax. You're wasting money. You're wasting time. This is not going to end the world. At worst, there's going to be some computer glitches for a few months that will be fixed very quickly by, by you know, experienced professionals who know what they're doing. Um, he also made a website about this that he archived on December 31st of, of 1999 as an archive of all of like these comments people had sent him about there from people they knew who were doing YTK prep stuff, articles about it, uh, angry emails sent to him because he wasn't taking the end of the world seriously enough and was going to get people killed. And he just Isn't the end of the of world it. inherently going to get everyone killed? That's what your yeah. Bible says. And more importantly, this still exists. He has kept it up as kind of, kind like, of like a the monument, Space Jam website. As a monument of the Y2K hysteria, which you can go to his website now. Bob Loblaw's Law Blog. Yep. It's uh, angelfire.com. Oh my God. Slash OH slash just a number. I didn't know Angel Fire was still accessible oh, in any way. Yes. I'm not sure if it is or not, but by God, I was on this website. I remember Austin came downstairs earlier and he goes, I have such a headache. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, flashing lights and oh, bright colors no, on one screen. His, his was fine. His was just a black background with white letters, which is I good. hate that too. It, I mean, it's very 90s, but it's readable. I was looking at some other stuff that has clearly written by crazy people. That was 13 year olds, like flashing backgrounds and like rainbow text. And it was all flashing and discordant and it gave me a headache. And of course, he wrote this blog, and then the year 2000 happened. Yes, it did. And there were some glitches. Everything wasn't fixed. It wasn't perfect. Are you right about here? Some but of even the, the computer guys never said everything's going yeah. to be fixed. It's going to be nothing bad's going to happen. Also, if your mm -hmm. computer's older than 1997, you probably need an upgrade or a new one. Yeah, it's like there's like there's updates, there's patches. We've sold it's like lots of places even put out free patches. Like if you have Windows 95 or 97 or whatever, they released floppy disks that had the patches you need to fix this problem and it floppy was free disks. you can't track a floppy disk right no of course not you know i said like sorry a liar. dennis bring it in yeah and there were some glitches when you hear about some of the, mo the major glitches mild inconveniences uh 150 slot machines in delaware stopped working that would suck if you're playing them some pregnant women in sussex got notices that their babies were at risk for down syndrome when they were in fact not at risk for down syndrome How'd that happen? Because they thought they were way older. It's like, oh, you're pregnant and you're this old. Well, you should. <laughs> they thought they were like 130. Yeah. And it was just an automated system that sent out these notices that they were at risk for Down syndrome when they weren't. Also, what a fucked up system to have an automated message related to anyway. I think it was like a, I think it was like a pamphlet, a public health thing. It's like, hey. That's fucked up. Yeah. Um, a bus ticket validation, bus ticket validation machines broke down in two Australian states. Two? Two. Some blockbusters <laughs> gave customers late fees over $7,000. Hey, last standing blockbuster. What is your comment? Because their fix accidentally, instead of making the date 1-1-2000, it made the date 1-1-19,100. So instead of going to 2000, it just went to 19-100. So they would... It went from 99 to 100 with a 19 in front of it still. They goofed up on their fix. But 
that's way after the year 2000, so they shouldn't have had to owe late fees. The, the, they what, should have had to pay the kid. No, the... They, uh, they checked it out on December 30th, and they returned it 19,000 years later. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So there were some crazy late fees that showed up for some people. Um, and there's just dozens of over other minor glitches that went on for years after this. Hey, Austin, we were talking the other day about where we want to go when all this is over. Want to go to the last remaining blockbuster? Yes. And then we'll go hunt Bigfoot because I'm pretty sure it's in Oregon. So there are all these minor glitches. But after it was very clear that the world didn't end, which was obvious to... Okay, though, are we clear on that? Very clear. We're what if alive. we are in the Matrix? Then Dwight would have warned us. <laughs> we just watched the video. So even though, just like that, it was over. And we even knew in America that nothing was going to happen because of time zones and nothing happened in the rest of the world. But people were still panicking at midnight. Yeah. So even everyone knew better, but we didn't because we didn't understand computers. And uh, everybody thanked the programmers for their hard work. Sure. Which they hadn't fixed everything, which even though we acted like they did. And most of the work was actually completed three years ago. They did do a lot of hard work and fixes on a lot of things. So they actually did thank them. Yeah, they actually. Oh, I wasn't. I was expecting that to be sarcasm. But some people um, blamed them for blowing this whole thing out of proportion because nothing bad happened. They didn't do that. Yeah. It's like, even though the experts were constantly saying none of this was a problem. And um, uh, Loblaw, the programmer I mentioned earlier, was so disgusted by the billions wasted on this hoax and the fact that there was really no like pushback against the fact that, yeah, nothing was going to happen. You just wasted billions of dollars. It's like even the government. He got disgusted and quit programming and opened a chocolate shop instead. Where is this chocolate shop? Is it near the last Blockbuster? It's in Canada. Is it near the last Blockbuster? Where's what the... side of Canada is it on? God, I think he was in Alberta or Ontario. Like he was... That means nothing to me because as we learned from Jeopardy, I don't know geography. And speaking of world governments that spent billions on this, Russia literally spent zero dollars on Y2K preparedness and had no plans in place and also had no problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's just what they want us to think. And that's when they got all their trolls infiltrated onto the internet. And the people who had bought and stockpiled all of this stuff just didn't bring it up. It was kind of embarrassing and they didn't want to talk about it. Kind of like people who have 10,000 toilet paper rolls right now. Yeah. They should be ashamed of themselves, as we have learned. Our toilet paper from, what, like a year and a half before finally <laughs> yeah. ran out in August, I think, because mm-hmm. Costco membership, bitches. Yeah. It's like we just buy a thing of to- Costco toilet paper like once a year and we're good mm-hmm. we were learning low at the start so we actually had to supplement with some from high v did we yeah and it was just however oh I no was... we didn't have to supplement i was like awesome we probably should grab some if we see some just in case yeah because we were running low we had like five six rolls left we had 10 rolls left yeah because you kept forgetting that there were several upstairs uh marriage and of course i will say um that summer at garage sales, uh, I managed to score some brand new camping equipment, which was amazing. Is that in the basement? No, no. That uh. stuff since, I mean, that was 20 years ago. All that stuff broke like when I was in high school still. It broke a year later because they didn't know what they were buying. Yeah, they did. They, but still, I got a lot of new camping equipment at garage sales because they just kind of got rid of their disaster preparedness stuff because they were embarrassed about it. And of course, you know, the books vanished. Like, but the movie lives on like, on the internet. It was hard even finding reference to some of these books. It's like they just don't exist anymore. Uh, a Barnes and Noble clerk who was interviewed actually commented that a uh, few of them were even selling to begin with, and once Y two K rolled over, they just they just threw them away. It was just like there's no point in having these. You can't just throw them away. Yeah. 
the bookstore I worked at closed down. You can't just throw them away without express permission from the publisher, in which case you have to do it by ripping off the cover and then having them put into some kind of incinerator yeah. or compact or something where they can't yeah. be read. And, of course, the doomsday predictions. Yep. Uh, they moved around a lot. Oh, we, we just did the math wrong. Yeah, it was. Oh, oh, well, the new millennium's actually in 2001. So that's when the world's going to end. Hellzorp. Then, oh, no, no, no. It's 2012 with the Mayan calendar. And um, most recently, no, no, it's going to be 2060 when the world ends. So I couldn't find their time. justification to it. We got some time. I think it's far enough away that no one's really going to question it, but they don't want to completely. And of course, Nostradamus still continues to predict things like the world ending in 2020, which it didn't. It came fucking close. You know, and I've looked at covering Nostradamus several times for our show, and I haven't found a whole lot that would make me want to do an episode yet, but he really didn't make that many predictions. No. I don't know why this keeps getting... Like, he They're made just... it... Well, no, that's not quite it. He didn't make a whole lot of predictions that have had any real veracity to them, nor did he make the predictions people say he made. Like, well, I remember for September 11th, they were like, two metal birds, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I looked for that. Nope, didn't happen. He yeah. never said that. Yeah, this, um, so he made a lot of predictions, just not the ones that There's also lots made. of misattributed quotes. Like, this is Nostradamus' prediction when it's actually not. Someone just says it is. We should get into that sometime soon. Yep. And of course, uh, experts looking back, trying to figure out this phenomenon. Um, really blame it on uh, just the whole like, oh, a big calendar event is happening and people worry about the world ending around those because I don't know why it's a psychological phenomenon. Uh, people who just didn't understand how computer works, worrying about this new technology and also becoming um, people having to realize, oh, there's computers and all of this stuff around us who may not have been aware about just the amount of dependence we have on computerized and automated systems yep that didn't know it and yeah that was y2k in a nutshell hailzorp hailzorp so are you ready for some questions i am okay will the fact that experts fixed this problem back before most people even heard about it be on the test yes will the hundreds of billions of dollars we wasted fixing a non-existent problem be on the test no will the most terrifying future where jay leno was the only thing on tv <laughs> be on the test no. And will the fact that Russia did nothing and was fine be on the test? No. And will the fact that Nostradamus predicted this podcast be on the test? We wrote the test. So yes, it is. Actually, Nostradamus wrote the test. Yeah, that was my weird Y2K. All right. Yeah, that was a trip. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, I just realized what notebook you have. Uh, I got a Nicolas Cage notebook. He's showing it like it's like there's a camera I'm in front showing of him. it to the microphone. <laughs> Look at it, microphone. It's just nothing but Nicolas Cage faces. It's just the same Nicolas Cage face, just pasted yes. all over. Yes. It's beautiful. Even though he did help hold people hostage in the National Treasures. National's Treasure? The Treasure's National. And also in Con Air. And he was involved in the hostage situation in The Rock. Whoa. Did Nicolas Cage... I mean... Austin, you and I logically know that our relationship with Nick Cage isn't healthy, but we keep coming back and keep defending him. We do. Oh, man. We have some soul searching to do. Where can people find us? They can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, and our website OnTheTestPod.com, where you can also see our 10 Days of Shabermas blog. Yeah, and if you have any movies you want us to do that with, uh, send us a tweet on the test pod. That is the best way to get hold of me, because let's be honest, I'm the one who's who's watching that more because yeah. I read Twitter for its news sources. <laughs> hey, stuff gets there before it gets to the mainstream news. Um, yeah, we've got some soul searching to do with our relationship with Nicolas Cage. Wow. 
So, uh, happy new new year, everyone. Yep. Uh, twenty twenty one. Just play keep, it cool. Play it cool. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell this year what it is capable of. It may not know. Yeah. So just shh. Like raise this year right. Teach it some good morals. I know. So, yeah. That's like I don't even want to say that. Like things have been. I'm not going to jinx us. I'm not going to jinx us. Because I'm not even going to jinx us. He's not going to jinx us because he's not going to jinx us. Yeah. So I guess on that cryptic note. Class class dismissed. dismissed.